The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. You're with Bruce Torres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. World Stage indeed. Exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guest, I want to read a little bit from a new Substack by attorney cox.substack.com. Attorney Bobby Ann Cox here in New York State. Climate lockdowns have begun. She posted this January 14th. I'm just going to read a big fat paragraph here. Yesterday, our unfortunate governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, issued a travel ban for an entire county. She published this January 14th, so she's talking about January 13th. You read that correctly. No, not a travel advisory, but a full-on a full travel ban, meaning New Yorkers in Erie County are forbidden from going anywhere. What's another name for that? Well, if you live in a rural or very suburban area, which most of New York State is, where driving on a road is the way you get from point A to point B, then I would say a synonym would be lockdown. And what was dictator Hochul's, I mean, Governor Hochul's reason for this lockdown of close to one million New Yorkers that live in Erie County? Wait for it. Ready? It was going to snow. For anyone who does not live in New York or who has never been to Western New York in the winter, that area of our state gets a lot of snow, often. And yet the governor thinks, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everyone living there is so ignorant, they must be confined to their homes until she says it's safe for them to rejoin the world again. Either that or she's just testing you to see how far she can take her totalitarian (sighs) desires or both. Again, attorney Bobby Ann Cox wrote this piece, and you can find it at attorneycox.substack.com. And she's litigating uh, to challenge New York State on its decree or law or ruling of, in the event of a health emergency, being able to come check on you at your house and maybe take you away to uh, certain facilities, which some call quarantine camps, some call concentration camps. She is an eminent source worth following. With me this hour is Pele Narath Taylor, a TNT radio host who started his career writing for The Economist from the Baltic States in the early 1990s. He has been a close observer of European affairs ever since. He is a Brit living in Sweden whose articles have appeared on the Lance, in The Lancet, New Scientist, The Sunday Times, Financial Times, and The European. He has made several documentary films, two of which are featured on Amazon Prime, Sweden, Dying to be Multicultural, The Rise and Fall of the Humanitarian Empire, and Cancel Nation. And he has written several e-books, including... What did you do in the war, Sweden? And the life and death of Olaf Palm. Thank you very much for joining me today. Pele, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm um, great. That's uh, an interesting list. Um, thanks for reading it out. Um, 
it's um i don't know what uh, you want to talk about but i see that we have a common interest in the kennedys uh and uh, uh palmer was of course a great admirer of kennedy and he saw himself it was a time okay shall i talk for, <laughs> shall i talk um he saw, uh, it's, I don't know what your impression of Sweden is, but it used to be a sort of East Coast liberal paradise, you know? It's like Massachusetts professor's dream society. I think Swedes were aware of that and they tried to live up to that image. So I remember if you were, um, you know, if you, a certain kind of, um, there was a film called Sideways about a drunk uh, academic who was, uh, do you remember it? He was, uh, I saw, I saw it and I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Fantastic. Yeah. That director's a great guy. Um, but he he drove a, an old Saab. And that's all you need to know about the guy. That you know, it, So in 2005, having a character drive a Saab signaled to a sufficient number of Americans that this is exactly what the kind of guy was. You know, he kind of looked up to Sweden and he had liberal social democratic values. So I think that the Swedes probably, and, and um, the Kennedys, the uh, when Robert Kennedy was... Um, uh, standing for running for for office, uh, the Swedish then Prime Minister Olof Palme tried to kind of copy his moves, and um, he was the apprentice Prime Minister to a rather stolid old man who'd been in power since the war, and um, so he had photos taken of him walking on the beach because Sweden has a lot of lovely sandy beaches like you know Cape Cod, and his kids on his shoulder and had that sort of young image. And so I think when the, the Kennedy dream died in the US or went into abeyance after, you know, RFK's uh, assassination, I think the Swedes consciously tried to play a little bit to that role in the Amer American imagination, despite the high taxes or whatever. So um, I think that uh, I've always been, um, since um, we lived in the in the shadow of Kennedy, that, that is, is what I want to say, because Palmer... Sweden was a much smaller country uh, than the US. So you didn't have to take in, into account the enormous diversity of America. It's, it was really a homogeneous society. So you could live that, uh, you could live out the Massachusetts Cape Cod dream and high taxes or whatever. So um, I think um, the, um, if, if I was going to um, appeal to the American imagination, I think I'd talk a little bit more about that um, because Unfortunately, now um, you can also—I mean, I could reach out to the isolationist American imagination because Palmer, of course, was a, was neutral, and Sweden had been neutral for two hundred years, and he was much in favor of the United Nations. And Kennedy, I guess, was in, quite in favor of the United Nations, and he took a lot of his. Um, apart from the Kennedys, he he borrowed a lot of ideas from Dag Hammarskjöld, who is the. Um, the, the UN Secretary General in the early 50s to 60s. And of course, you've got Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza in, in New York, and the library in the UN building is called uh, Dag Hammarskjöld Library. And he, he's still quite a well-known figure, I think. I mean, he's still a sort of... I um, I was working on Hammarskjöld documentary with a, a guy who used to be the UN correspondent for Fox News. And he, was a, he is a Swedish guy, so he knew a lot of the... Um, he knew Hans Blix, who was the Iraq war weapons inspector, who was a Swede, of course. Hmm. And Blix fed him a lot of stories about what was really going on because they had this national solidarity. Anyway, he so he, he described the UN as a sort of place which hadn't much changed since the 1960s, you know, like 50s with had this sort of um, 
You know the old TWA terminal building in JFK, Idlewild? It was built by mm. Sarinen, I think. Mm. And I think it's got that clean Scandinavian design, the UN building. So it's still this kind of shrine to American come Swedish, Scandinavian utopianism, you know, and Hammerfeld mm. tapped into it. Kennedy tapped into it a little bit. And I wrote another book about the Kennedy-Hammerfeld relationship, you know, because um, mm. Kennedy, did you, did you, I mean, because he was a religious, uh, Hammerfeld was intensely religious. And um, I haven't read your book, but I saw that the title is God and Kennedy. So maybe you talk about the the religious aspect of um, uh, of Kennedy, you know. But um, Hammerfeld, anyway, is intensely religious and Christian. And I think some of that rubbed off on Kennedy. And he died a, a sort of martyr's death for, for, for the idea that the UN could broker peace in the world. And, uh, and although Kennedy seemed to start out as a Cold War warrior, um, he, when Hammerfeld was killed, uh, probably by the British or the um, French, or I mean, the colonial powers in 1961 in an in a air crash, um, Kennedy said he was the greatest statesman in the world. You know, I mean, that's no mean thing mm -hmm. coming from Kennedy. So, and I think yeah. Kennedy tried to. Make, I don't know what you, your research has told you, but maybe Kennedy borrowed some stuff from Hammerfeld. So anyway, well, that's I a sweet American I, connection. Well, I, I love, I love that you shared so much of that, Pele, because I'm intrigued to follow up on, in order, the um, Kennedy admiration of Olaf. Palma, you're pronouncing him. Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to pronounce his yeah. name. Yeah. What yeah. I know about him is what I remember from interviews I've seen of an independent fellow, Ole Damagard, who oh, yeah. has researched deeply into horrible things the CIA has done behind the scenes, laying the blame of, I think, Palma's assassination. So tell me about his career. After 1968, when you say he was kind of like an assist assistant or yeah, uh, yeah. What, what happened? And he got also assassinated, right? That's right. So that was Europe's or Sweden's Kennedy assassination. And, and they say that that assassination is the only one that's produced more shelf meters in terms of uh, police reports than the Kennedy assassination. And mm. It's far less well known, but it was as traumatic for the um, uh, Swedes as, it, as the Kennedy assassination was for, for the US. And he was a kind of similar similar guy in the sense that he was well i'll start off 68 he, he he modeled himself the swedes were very very pro-american and, and still are you know i mean something like a third of the swedish population emigrated to the united states in the 19th century and they settled in minnesota and wisconsin and places like that and um where the, the scenery is very similar to sweden actually you feel that it's almost the same country it's incredible uh sense of similarity and um so many Swedes had relatives in the US, so they always looked up to America and they felt that they were Americans and they, they, they had all these, Ameri they still have American cars. You go, it's like Cuba, you know, uh, you go there in, in, in the summer and you see American Chevrolets from the 1960s driving around. Anyway, Kennedy, um, Palmer positioned himself as a pro-American Kennedy. At the same time, he was incredibly against the Vietnam War. But I mean, I think Kennedy and, and Ted Kennedy were quite against the Vietnam War. But because he was a prime minister he um, of a country rather than just a politician, as the younger Kennedy was, he was able to be a very sort of vocal critic. And using Sweden's prosperity and sort of good name in the third world, he, he posed himself as a very strong critic of Vietnam. And I haven't read the American archives of him, but the British archives really hate uh, British diplomatic archives. It's clear that the diplomats really disliked him as being a you know, typical progressive busybody uh, standing on the sidelines of the world battle and telling everyone 
that Sweden is best. Sweden took in a lot of deserters from the United States and from the Vietnam War, and they could never go home. So you had like 30, if you look through the archives of the American press on Sweden, and I did that, like into the 1990s, a staple article, if you were an American, a New York Times reporter, you go to Stockholm and you'd find some aging American guy who hadn't been back to America since 1967, you know? And his mother had come to see him once or something, and oh no, but my relatives thought I was a traitor and so on. And these were guys who'd left, you know, uh, after after Vietnam. Canada was the other country, of course. Anyway, so he became kind of a bête noir for for certain kind of Americans, and um, um, even he, he got off. Nixon kind of disliked him, hmm. and um, he always saw himself as pro-American, but he always saw he couldn't understand it because he said a good friend criticizes other good your good friend that's what good friends are for and he always admired american progressivism or whatever i mean kennedy kennedyism but i mean i know that he was quite unpopular with what you call the the deep state and uh, i think that um um his uh he he became a sort of uh, in the 1980s um he was quite close to the soviet union he wanted to uh, broker peace between the soviet union and, and the west and he was he he had the same role as um, Willy Brandt in Germany and uh, ah, that Austrian guy um, Kreisky in Austria. So there were three German because Palmer spoke German, fluent German. His mother was German, who were carrying out this kind of Ost politique, which was called Eastern politics. And he was the northern tier of that, which was to be nice to the to the Russians and to and to sort of seduce them, you know. You know that mm. metaphor. You, you can't. You can seduce people by sunshine much better than you seduce them by wind power. You know the, the sunshine gets people to open up rather than yeah, trying take, to blow. Yeah, and take them. a cut, right voluntarily take yeah, the yeah, cut right. off so, instead of the wind. So, and and that's always been the, the approach. The, the two approaches towards Russia is charm them or, or bully them or, or, and frighten them. You know, and the neocons have always mm. tried to frighten them. And the, but this was kind of be nice to the Russians and. And they and 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 you could say I, I talked to some geostrategists after that. They say that the doves took the back seat after the defeat of the Soviet Union, but actually they should take much of the credit uh, because it was the the sort of friendly face that faced um, the Soviet Union's reformers, including Gorbachev and his um, allies, who persuaded them that they could be part of this European social democratic family of which Palmer was a was a part you know when was he and when so, was he uh how long and when was he prime minister well he's a prime minister from 79 to 86 and with a uh, break from uh, 76 to 82 when uh, there was a non-socialist government and when was so, he assassinated 80 february uh, 1986 um when he was in office of february that's right, right. So it was and at what, the height of what, what sorry and and, and well, just uh, about his assassination what's what have, what do you know and have you found about who killed him gosh well i mean i mean i think um it was an international plot it, it's so so much has been written about it i'll just say straight off i think that um, there were probably more than one kill team and um to confuse things they were from different countries and i think they probably they might not have been aware of each other's presence and i think that the swedish uh, security police were complicit in that they withdrew protection on the evening so there were three there was the surveillance team from swedes and um there was a south african hit team because there was a, an anti-apartheid conference going on at the same time palmer was a very very active 
protester against apartheid, you know. And um, he, of course, the ANC, the African National Congress, got a lot of their sponsorship from the Soviet Union and they had a communist past. And mm. the Swedes gave them half their money. So for the South Africans, this, I mean, the point about the Swedes was that they were a democracy. That, so they're always... Pele, allow me, yeah. allow me to reintroduce Sorry, yeah. you. How do you pronounce your second name, Pele? Uh, well, Neroth Taylor. Neroth Taylor, thank you. Yeah. Not only a fellow TNT radio host, but a, a close observer of European affairs since the 1990s. And mm. we're talking about Olaf Palma of Sweden, and we're going to come back and talk about the Kennedys and the CIA and everything else under the sun after this important information from today's news talk, TNT. TNT's Pella Neuroth-Taylor. We, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means, because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world, meaning, well, they're guys we approve of, and then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. tntradio.live. This is World Stage. with me is Pele Neroth Taylor. And we're talking about Sweden, and we're talking about Prime Minister in the 1980s assassinated by apparently an international. Uh, and and the reason I asked about that is because oh, wow, almost the anything, almost the only thing I really knew about Sweden was, like I said, from Ole Damagard because he's an, yeah. a, an exposer of these kind of plots, and I'm a student of the Kennedy assassination and the administration and American history, and I was very intrigued to. Uh, listen intently to uh, Palmer's appreciation of Kennedy. I want to talk about him very, just for a minute or so, and then I want yeah, sure. to to put a bunch of things on the table to uh, pick your brain about. Uh, we'll see, you know, because I've got a, a mental mm -hmm. list in my head. But what is your impression or understanding about why the prime minister was assassinated in 1986? Well, because I think he was going to, uh, he was going to go to Moscow in April 1986, and it's possible that he was going to expose some of the arms dealing. He, uh, Sweden was going to be used as a conduit country for some of the arms, uh, arms to Iran, you know, the Iran Contra scandal. And he was going to maybe blow the whistle, or it was he was thought to be blow the whistle, and he was thought to go get too close to Gorbachev. 
And some of the hotheads in the Swedish uh, military thought that he was going to go to Sweden and expose, go to Moscow and expose some military secrets. Hmm. And we, you can't separate it from the fact that uh, for the previous years, there'd been the mysterious, you're old enough to maybe remember this, that submarine intrusions in Swedish waters that the Swedes said were um, the Soviets sizing up the Sweden for, for an invasion. Um, and they were never caught, and it was generally believed. I remember it well. I was a teenager. They were Palmer was a spy or a Soviet agent letting them out in the line. We were never caught, and it was generally believed. I remember it well. I was a teenager. They were Palmer was a spy or a Soviet agent letting them out in the, in the last moment. It's turned out that these were British and American submarines, and I think that one of the hosts here on TNT, Dirk Pullman, has talked about it extensively. So it was a psyops aimed at making the Soviets seem to be more aggressive than they were at the same time as it was demonizing Palmer and making sabotaging his kind of peace efforts towards the Russians. Thanks. So was right. he, did so you say earlier he was kind of like Sweden's Kennedy? You said the impact of his assassination was similar to the impact of Kennedy's assassination, but was yeah. he a well, Kennedy-esque figure? Swedes lose their footing. I mean, hmm. um, that they were the best thing. These things couldn't happen here. Mm. And um, it, um, they, so Swedes lost their innocence because they hadn't had war for you know since eight, two, 1814 and um, and been spared political troubles or assassinations or rebellion. I mean, extraordinarily prosperous country. I think mm. second most prosperous after Switzerland, despite mm. the high taxes. You know, very egalitarian. Mm. I mean, it was good. It was boring. That was the worst thing you could say about it. You know, it's like in the mm. same way that paradise can be boring or maybe, you know, it's like Palm Beach or something like that if you've got money. Uh, mm. And uh, it's hard to describe it because I lived in the UK. I, I lived in Sweden for a few years. Uh, my mother divorced and I went to school in Sweden. I went to the UK and I forgot, didn't think about it. But mm. if you go onto YouTube, you can find so, so many Palmer films that the Swedish television put out and they went over this murder and again and again. And the trouble with some of Damagod's work is that he is you you get into that um, rabbit hole again, where you, you can literally spend years going down the different trails, you know. And uh, and it's some there's nothing's too obscure for some Swedish journalist to write a book about it. Okay, and you can sure. literally spend years about it, and you go mad. But actually, it was a simple assassination, two or three teams, you know. Just like well, then some, let me then, then let me yeah. ask you maybe not to. Uh, over-examine the point. I just, would you say, I, I'm convinced that President Kennedy in the United States was killed because he, for two major reasons. One, he was genuinely trying to fulfill the potential of his office on behalf of the highest ideals of America's founding. And that stood in the way of the momentum of the banking and business interests uh, as expressed through the military industrial complex. And the other reason he was killed was to fundamentally transform and damage the psyche of the United States of America and, and put us and just traumatize the world, if especially Americans. Was um, Palma an equivalent uh, do-gooder for a very simplistic term um, not only the was he assassinated just for the concerns of him being demonized as a potential, mm. I don't know, traitor or, or you know, betrayer yeah. of military secrets. Yeah, he, he was. 
I mean, I read that there was that, just to go into Kennedy, I because I researched Kennedy quite a lot. And there's that 2008 book, what's that guy called? Um, Douglas. It's a, yeah, Douglas. That's a famous book because that kind of redefined Kennedy. Unspeakable. Kind of, like, and figure, unspeakable. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. a hero of the old left, isn't he, Kennedy now, as a saint-like figure. And I, and I think Palmer, I mean, not consciously, but though he's trying to play that world savior role from his perch mm. at the head of Sweden. And he, in a way, he was trying to Swedenize, turn the whole world into Sweden. And uh, thinking, well, can't everyone get on? And I mean, it became a joke around the more cynical countries. Oh, it, you ain't, this ain't Sweden. You know, when you send some UN worker to some mm. country and he falls into a mire of corruption. And so Sweden is often held up as, as the naive country par excellence, you know, more even more than the United States and the Peace Corps. Anyway, so I think it was, yeah, I think that Palmer represented right. some kind of dream of, uh, and, of, of what uh, man can do, what a good leader can do, you know, yeah. with high aspirations. And I'm just getting to know you, obviously, this is our very, very, very first conversation. How Your, your TNT show is on how many days a week? How long have you been doing your show on TNT? Uh, a few weeks. It's, I think my third or fourth week, and it's at uh, 1 p.m. Swedish time, which is 12 GMT, and I think it's 7 Eastern Standard Time. And it's an hour, and I have two interviewees, and it's rather fun. And it's Monday <laughs> I, um, through Friday, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, it's it's fun to have a global channel because you – but I'm getting – I'm trying different – talking to different types of people, you know, and um, you can't – it's sort of – if you – Talk to people from around the world. It's difficult to be partisan in a way. Um, but I well, think, I'm all I mean, for I'm all for the broadest perspective. Mm. But you heard me at the top. I read. I you know I recite my little preamble of what my show yeah. is about. Do you have such a, a statement? Well, how would you describe the purpose or mission of your show? Well, I think um, I didn't do the same preamble i sort of um in, do what inspiration finds me on the day and i've tried to find a theme between my two interviewees and then kind of talk around that but i guess a, a larger story is something like i think that trump is grievously misunderstood around the world and um i'm sort of i think a lot of the viewers might be pro-trump or the anglo viewers of this channel and feel that they're misunderstood and trump's misunderstood and maybe in some way maybe i'm sort of hoping that maybe trump Trump voters, or maybe even some in the future administration, hopefully, be watching this and get a European and global perspective. Not everyone hates around the world hates Trump, and some people quite understand him. And I think there are a lot well, of pro. I'm I'm pro American, but I'm not necessarily pro the the current sort of um, war mongering liberalism or whatever you've got now. I mean, um, well, Pele, then I, I want to ask you um, how is Trump misunderstood. And then per the bio of yours that I read, you know, you are a close observer of European affairs. Before this show is over, I'm going to pick your brain about, you know, the world from, you know, what's going on in Europe and from the European perspective. But since you uh, said so, how do you feel Trump is misunderstood around the world? Well, I mean, I think Trump uh, was probably a, a demo. I mean, he's a builder for a start, so he doesn't destroy things, you know, I mean. Um, he's also probably all his life had um, blue collar connections, you know, so he knows how to talk to normal people. He's rich, but I mean, normal pe people can accept that if it's, if they feel that he's not too in your face about it. And maybe there's a kind of, oh, well, we too can become rich. And I think that um, whether out of genuine um, a sense of uh, 
engagement or whether whether it's a sort of political move he's captured the, the entire blue collar working class who sort of the bruce springsteen type of people who still i mean a lot of people in europe admire that america you know they see just down to earth they love that kind of pop culture you know credence clearwater revivals that um a video of their song fortunate son was doing rounds recently and millions of people watch it you know and around europe and um so i think actually a lot of europeans kind of would like that but i think that they've they've been poisoned by their media um mm. and i think this media represents i don't know you could call it something like um the globalist empire which enslaves both washington and london and it's it's sort of a a successor of the british empire or something and it's taken Agreed. its tentacles over there's a guy called richard poe who's i'm trying to get hold of actually i don't know if he's he'd be perfect he's a really good i mean he blames like the american civil war and the british empire he said they supported the confederacy out of there what's richard's what's richard's last name poe oh p o e sure Tell he's me about his thesis. Substack. Yeah. Yeah. Follow his fantastic programs because he's one of the few. And you know, the, um, the Russiagate hoax. Uh, I mean, that started with a former MI6 guy, you know, and uh, that's the British intelligence service. And you, everyone knows that you never form an intelligence service. You're always with them, you uh -huh. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was the, 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 the people who were worried that Britain could no longer ride the American, uh, American ride British rider could no longer ride the American donkey if the Trump came to power and in instituted his American isolationist nationalism. So uh, Trump, I think a lot the, of the rumors Trump, Trump caused the economy here to do very very well. Yeah. And he held back the uh the military uh brutal murderous tyrannical uh, excursions and empire activities that america was doing and i believe in close cahoots or partnership with britain for at least since world war ii that's right um yeah my biggest disappointment and i want to ask you about this pele my biggest disappointment with trump is basically off the top of my head he blew his chance as president to unite america he can only play divisive politics and it has it has contributed to my sense of how america so many americans are at each other's throat mm. and the other one and i want your thoughts on both that and this this he aided and abetted the murderous anti-human uh protocols put in place in the name of covid and also the injections which you're talking to someone who's persuaded that is a the injections are a crime against humanity um along the lines of maybe the greatest crime against humanity mm. many like dr naomi wolf uh, accused the injections and that whole the injuries and the deaths uh resulting as dwarfing the horrors of the nazi holocaust so what are your you know what are you what do you make of your new friend Bruce putting those two opinions of well, Trump on the table? You know, no, that's that's fine. I mean, I think um, uh, maybe he's as blindsided as the rest of us by by the science, you know, and and the need to come up with a solution. And uh, he was he turned out to be un unexpectedly weak in some ways. I mean, he 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 said he was going to have an anti neocon following policy. But he was—he hired all these neocons, didn't he? Like, well, Tillerson and yeah. Masters or whatever, 
And maybe he mm. thought, you know what Lyndon Baines Johnson said, it's better have, having them inside the tent pissing out than outside the tent pissing in or something, right. you know. Um, but he, he he misjudged that he wasn't a details man. He just didn't know how Washington worked and he probably over, overestimated his own capabilities. So, you know, his, his staff could place one paper in front of him and take another one away. And they, he didn't know what he was signing. So he could be manipulated. And uh, I, and um, so he was, uh, he was a monarch rather than a chief executive. He was a symbol of something. And the point about him being divisive is, I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, he does, um, he has at least um, in the four years since he's left, he's managed to attract quite a lot of Hispanics and uh, blacks, hasn't he? So, uh, I mean, they normally stick to the, the Democrats. So it shows that a Republican, I mean, I don't know uh, how much, um, I get the the feeling that Trump is a is a sort of person that goes down well, you know, in the in the building site canteens, and he talks to people straight. So you know, yes. colored people can kind of kind of relate to him. Yeah, and he's just uh, yeah, I mean, he's pretty straightforward, and I don't I don't feel that there's a lot of racism in him. But I mean, the thing about wanting to close your board, nation's borders is not necessarily racist because the ones who suffer most from open borders are the ones at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. And that can be blacks or whites, you know? So, um, yeah. I know in, in Sweden, yeah, this Trumpian party in Sweden get a lot of votes from non-whites because they, they feel that, you know, they don't want to compete for jobs with the millions of, uh, um, you know, migrants, they feel that they get most out of the welfare states. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, well, it's interesting. I, I guess it's, it's, um, why? What could? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Why? How could Trump have been less divisive? I guess he is who he is. Um, well, uh, exactly. His strength is his weakness. His his yeah. his obvious authenticity with his opinions. His his mouth often seemed faster than his mind, which mm. you know. For, there there it is. He was oblivious to his opportunity to be diplomatic and bring. America together behind his now let's not belabor the point because I it's it's just it's it's almost it's almost tragic at a at a at a very human but maybe comic level how he was so blind to that which is which leaves him open to accusations of being an intentionally divisive character to intentionally mm. tear us apart and yet I don't I can't say that a claim that I literally believe that because he s told so much truth in the campaign. He told so much truth while he was in the White House. He's telling so much truth. Um, and I think that, a, that a, uh, accounts for a huge part of his popularity, mm. but he's so odious to so to such a huge amount of Americans. And, and it sounds like, according to the uh, media overseas as well, um, that I just don't know if he's, you know, could, could do anything good if he gets gets elected again. Or if he's older and wiser now, like you say, you know, if he's well aware of how he was duped about COVID and the shots, I'm sorry, I haven't heard one word. I'm not following his campaign as assiduously as I probably will mm -hmm. for the rest of the year and probably have to, you know. But I mm -hmm. don't think I've heard him say one word acknowledging the massacre of harm that have been the shots. And that's uh, one of the most compelling things to me about the candidacy of Bobby Kennedy Jr. 
and that's true yeah. we yeah and we're uh we're gonna i'm gonna reintroduce you pele naruth taylor right where can people follow you by the way i don't have a website or or a Substack or anything for you where can people follow you well i haven't got a website yet but i mean if you go to amazon uh books uh you can find my books on yeah. there all right well we're gonna keep talking about everything else under the sun here now is important information from today's news talk, TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, we've got a big January thaw going on across Europe and the United States, and it will last into early February in a lot of places. And the reason this is happening is because the Madden Julian oscillation is moving through some phases that when the United States gets warm, Europe gets warm. But the jet stream is going to crash into the west coast of the United States. So everybody will be yelling and screaming about climate change and atmospheric rivers. But this is something that happens whenever the weather pattern is going to change. We've pointed this out in Europe. And guess what? It's going to start happening in Europe too. The first week of February is probably going to be very wet. And then it will turn cold again in Europe. Whenever it gets wet and stormy, it's not only a sign that it's wet and stormy, it's a sign something else is about to happen. In this particular case, we look for a frigid endgame to winter in the United States from about, oh, February 7th or 8th, right into mid-March, and Europe is going to turn cold too. So if it happens and you start hearing climate change, you could say, well, wait a minute. I heard that Neanderthal climate-denying guy and TNTs tell me this before the fact because what they do is they wait till after and then explain it to you this is tnt climate and weather watchdog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you've got people might tell you that lime doesn't kill people but we are losing people people disappear from their lives one of the scariest things that i had to deal with was uh memory loss not just like I don't remember what I did last week, but like I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. So I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. You're listening to Bruce Torres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And with me is Pele Noroth Taylor, who is a TNT radio host here Monday through Friday. The maker of several documentary films, two of which are featured on Amazon Prime. Sweden, dying to be multicultural, the rise and fall of the humanitarian empire and canceled nation, and also has written several e-books including What Did You Do in the War, Sweden? and The Life and Death of Olaf Palma. What uh, would you would you add or... I would, yeah, I wanted to say something about the vaccines. Yeah. I've, it's one of those enormous subjects where I believe it when you say it, but at the same time, I can't make some kind of emotional connection. It's funny, isn't it? I don't disbelieve you. And I'm not, I mean, I'm, one must all, I've, 
I, I, have, I have a training in science uh, at university. So, I mean, I subjected everything to scientific tests, you know, I mean, you just look at the evidence. The evidence was there that Kennedy was assassinated by kill shot from the grassy knoll, for instance. I mean, that's not a conspiracy theory to say that because that's what the practical physical evidence tells you, right? Hmm. Um, and I was, um, I think one of the things about the vaccines is that the, the, there's so much evidence, but I saw uh, a statistic from the UK Office of National Statistics that correlated vaccine status with a non-vaccine status and age group. And there the mortality rate was higher. And that was like the killer fact. You know, I didn't need to look at everything else because more means less. It's like looking at all the evidence for the Palmer murder. You know, you just get confused. So that that single Excel sheet uh, showing number of vaccinations and, and, and uh, mortality rate per 100,000 convinced me. But I still haven't... I Convinced you I what? I'm not sure I'm following you. Convinced you what, Pele? Well, I mean that the the vaccines uh, are, are are dangerous, you know. Thank you. They cause they, and I, I I've seen somewhere it's like th equivalent of three holocausts or something like seventeen million premature deaths and so on. I, but I just can't take it in. So I don't know why I can't I can't create this emotional. But I believe it intellectually. But I just right. want to say something more about the COVID thing. Was that Sweden didn't have any lockdowns? I don't know if you remember that, but it was excoriated by the New York Times and the liberal media who all favored authoritarian solutions and you know sweden their darling country was uh too libertarian for their tastes and i remember when the whole of europe was locked down i was going to restaurants in my small town and doing living a completely free life you know and i remember sitting with my girlfriend saying i'm probably in the only indian restaurant in the eastern hemisphere that's still open or something like that you know and so swedes had um have this reputation for being quite a controlled people and, and and listening too much to their US masters or whatever now. But there they they went right against world opinion and it turned out to be the right thing, you know, because they actually ended up with a lower economic hit and a lower mortality rate than I think any country in the world and, and no inconveniences, no lockdown, uh, no job closures, no restaurants were all open. I think the, the, the gyms were closed or something like that. But but it's been forgotten. It's been memory hold that achievement by the Swedes, and that was a good thing. Anyway, and I, but they even the Swedes went along. You know the ivermectin thing. I think that works. Why? Why? And Trump. That's something Trump could have uh, raised, but he hasn't. So yeah, he's not beneath criticism, is he? Not at all. But um, what? What's? What have you seen? Or what's your impression of Kennedy's candidacy this year? What are his strengths and weaknesses? If you have a, ch if you've had a chance to, you know, form opinions. Well, about I thought that. And then I do want to ask you more about yeah. Sweden and the European point of view, but tell me yeah. about Kennedy. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I thought if you could have a ticket with Kennedy and, uh, and Trump, maybe that'd be great. Um, I'm just hoping he's not going to, um, you know, as a third candidate, uh, push Biden over the line by reducing Trump's support for Trump. Um, and I think, well, I don't, I'm not quite with his support for Israel. So a lot of um, people who re really wanted to love Kennedy, especially for his anti-war stance, are kind of disappointed with his Israeli thing. I'm tremendously but, disappointed with his stand yeah. for Israel. Tremendously right. disappointed. But is it a deal breaker for you? I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think it's quite a deep deal breaker for me. I'm still... Now, you, now in, you're uh, getting now you're getting psychic. It's for the last two or three weeks I've tried to say and think nothing about him because I was so demoralized by I really saw so much of how he's defended Israel since October seventh, and just a couple days ago, I dared to post the first comment about it where I said, 
all basically all in all for all of his strengths, what he knows, what he's proposing as solutions, I would prefer him to any other candidate. While I'm paraphrasing, I cannot comprehend and I am repulsed by what he is filled with and how he's defending what Israel is doing in Gaza. Mm. I can't wrap my head around it, and yet I would hold my nose and vote for him, whereas in the past, I, it would have been just with joy the chance to vote for a guy who knows what he knows yeah. and is proposing what he's proposing. I, I mean, I, I, it's such a, I've seen him interviewed on some of the sort of alternative media shows, and um, it's wonderful to have a man who's so articulate, you know, because, I mean, whatever you think of Trump, he's not... Uh, in the same articulous league of as uh, as RFK Jr. And it's I like this idea, this beautiful idea, because that's when America was great for a lot of us Europeans. You know, we we really I think we we really we have mixed feelings. We're all American. It's like the Roman Empire. Even if everyone was a Roman, you know, even if they hated the Roman, America's part of us. I mean, I, I grew up on American literature, you know, I read Norman Mailer. Probably my top five writers are American, you know. Um and uh, especially if you live, grew up in London, and it feels like it, we, our culture is totally Amer American and British culture so intertwined, you know. And I, well, your, music, your, you said you had, so you said you had yeah. an undergrad. Did you have an undergrad or a master's degree in science? What was your yeah. real quick? What's your, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. What did what what did you study? What did you become expert in? And and now as a as a writer for thirty years, tell me about you. You know what. What you studied and and what your expertise, your areas of expertise are, please. Well, I I um I was born in London, and then uh, I from the ages of eight to fourteen, I lived in Sweden in the town of Malmo, which is the, the sort of the most immigrant city in Sweden. And then I had um, I moved to the UK to do my A levels, which is a high school certificate um, at Westminster, which is a very famous public school, private school, prep school, you call it, um, like Eton. You've heard of Eton, yeah. and it was main rival of Eton, but far more academic. And um, so we were the brains, and they were the sort of posh sort of fops, and we but we were the kind of uh, academic, and we're housed inside the Abbey, Westminster Abbey, almost. So we'd go to Abbey every morning, and it was probably it had the best academic results in the UK and the um um and quite a lot of Americans quite a lot of really rich Americans you know I mean my desk mate at the chemistry class was the descendant of the the, the Bush clan is it the beer family Anheuser Bush or something mm. but of course you know they're just guys like everyone else in a in a mm. classroom a lot of Americans and uh anyway and then I went I, I did um at maths, five A levels, which is quite rare French, and then I didn't went to Bristol, which is a uh, one of the top universities, but slightly below Oxbridge, Oxford and Cambridge. But I did maths, where it, it, I wasn't that good at maths, so I, I couldn't really, I wasn't good enough to go and sit in Magdalen under the tree where where Lewis Carroll, you know, used to. He was a mathematician, but um, I and then I went into journalism school in the in London, and then I became a journalist and I worked for many. Uh, yeah. British newspapers as a s editor, copy editor, sub editor, as a freelancer, as a columnist, but I um, didn't. The risk I was frustrated. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. You. Uh, well, ask a question if you want. <laughs> well, I just, I, I just wanted to ask, bef you know, before we got too close to, you know, wow, look at the time. What yeah. are, what are, what stories are you gravitating toward more, or is it? 
you know, are you what are you are you studying and reporting things on your show or or for future yeah. writings? Well, or are you inviting guests and it, what what particular things are you trying to examine or interview people about? Well, at the moment, I'm just kind of fine. I, I've um, got a background in investigative journalism and historical investigation. So I wrote a, an ebook about the death of Hammerfeld, about the diplomatic origins of World War One, which is uh, required reading thousands of telegrams and books written in the 1920s and 30s. And this is a complete departure from that. I mean, it involves talking to people and getting out there. And I'm oh, still, okay. it's quite fun to actually, because now when I'm talking to you, I'm at, at the edge of truth, right? And I'm communicating to a large audience. Whereas when you're sitting and writing, it's often a very, very lonely process, you know? And it's actually, so, but I'm, so I'm not pursuing a particular angle, mm. except I think I'm putting, I'm, I'm just trying to find out what people think about issues like globalism and American empire and Trump mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Did you say you you wrote a piece on Dag Hammarskjöld? Yeah, we're doing a documentary about it. Um, and I wrote an ebook about his, his well, his, he, he, I mean, he, was, uh, he died in a death crash in 1961 yeah. uh, when he was going to broker peace, maybe you know. And I think he, he was uh, carrying water for the Americans because... The Americans wanted to get rid of the British Empire and French Empire in Africa. And Kennedy was quite idealistic about the UN in 1961. He wanted um, his um, UN ambassador, uh, Adlai Stevenson, was a very, very progressive liberal, and he really believed in the UN. And he, he thought the American power, to, to some extent, to be could, benign power could be clothed in the UN's colors, as it were, and Hammerfeld was game for that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the British hated Hammerfeld because he was going to expand the UN's power in, in Congo and in Africa. And the British were just pulling away from their empire and they thought he was an upstart. And I think they, I think that they, there were mercenaries who killed him, but I think the British knew what was going to happen and they were pulled back their planes uh, on the evening because he was going to broke, he was going to a British colony of Northern Rhodesia. So in the I last, mean, all, in the last yeah, three or sorry. four years, Pele, I saw a number of times, uh, a persuasive report that recent evidence or someone's recent analysis really pins his plane crash on the CIA. I've read a number of pieces on that to, mm -hmm. to say it with that amount of certainty without saying I believe it or I'm absolutely certain, but it's a new, it's new stuff that came out, I think just in the last maybe five years. And if you want, I'll try to dig through whatever yeah. I could find about it and, and send it to you. I think that the CIA, the, the, well, Kennedy really liked Hammerfeld. And I think if, maybe you have a theory that the CIA did in Kennedy. So when we're talking about it was against Kennedy as much as it was against Hammerfeld, I think the CIA had foreknowledge because they had planes parked on the tarmac with, with, um, uh, so they knew what was going on, but they didn't have the assets on the ground. It was the British who had the assets on the ground and the French who had the assets on the ground. So they might, the thing yeah. is about these assassinations is that I think all the Western intelligence agencies work together Yes, and they, they give each other the nod and they use each other as cover. So you're never quite yeah. sure if it's the Israelis or the South Africans or the Americans or the British. And it's in fact, right. it's all of them in a way, because they all, or some, or so some combination also. for that project. Exactly. Yeah. So the trail yeah. always seems to lead in different places, but actually it's the same yes. trail that goes to the same place. So, but I don't think yeah. that, I think the CIA hated Hammerfeld and, and they hated Kennedy and Kennedy was going to scatter the CIA to thousand winds and Hammerfeld was Kennedy's man. And Hammerfeld was going to, uh, what's that guy, the, the, the guy who was um, 
headed the CIA in 1961. Um, you know, Dulles. his brother, Dulles, Alan right? Dulles. Well, he, Alan Dulles. I think he had business interests in New Guinea. And those business interests were threatened by Hammerfeld's talk of a UN protectorate. So there's an Australian professor who's just written a book about that. Maybe there are many reasons why he had to be uh, knocked off, you know. So sure. yeah, and, and maybe could... maybe the macro maybe the macro reason he was going to be a good partner with Kennedy to try to you know create peace. Yeah. You know, in sixty one, right. Kennedy Kennedy yeah. was talking about peace from exactly the campaign exactly. forward, talk... his inauguration, exactly. everything. Yeah. I mean, Kennedy had, uh, it was after the, well, it was the Berlin crisis going on at the same time. And yeah, um, sure. that was incredibly dangerous. We f often forget that. Yeah. And um, it, all this reminds me of what's happening in Eastern Europe now anyway. I mean, that's why we, that's why I wrote this book thinking I'm just fascinated. And you re realize that you write something and it becomes relevant to what's going on in the world, you know? Which book? But Kennedy wants a number. To... Which book? Well, it's the it's the Hammerfell book. It's called uh, "The Day the UN Died." Um, Is it out? On, did it's you on Amazon it? Kindle. Oh, it's yeah, out. Okay, yeah. good. The day. Yeah. When did you? When did it come out? Uh, about six months ago. Congratulations! How many books have you written? You. Uh, five books? or six. Yeah, six. If you include a novel, I don't want to really admit to. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> and novels are tricky things, you know. Well, before we get into that, it's trickier to you know to to. To ask you everything I really want to now that I've gotten to know you, we're down to our last, you know, three or so minutes, Pele. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about World War One, you wrote something on World War One. Yeah, I mean, the the I don't know if you find this, but I mean, I find that everything I study in depth. I mean, I also studied did something on Watergate. Watergate was not what we think it was. I mean, the Washington Post right. was not; they were not heroes. They were dupes, you know, right. Right. and. Um, uh, the, the World War One was not the aggressive Germans. It was, I mean, it was the British and the French who were pushing Germany. It's like when you yeah. go into the OK Corral and and the, there's a gunman behind you and a gunman in, in front of you and you shoot first. That doesn't mean that you're the aggressor. It means that you have to shoot first because otherwise they're going to shoot you in the back. And Germany was surrounded on all sides by countries that wanted to go to war on it. So the much maligned Germans were the, re relatively innocent in that war. World War II yeah. is different, of course, but uh, World War One is, yeah. So, well, but but again, the point is, yeah. the point is, you know, the value of your work, the value of TNT, you know, uh, much of this kind of stuff is in the book that I wrote, which is right. to, you know, try to empower people with more of, you know, the the truth. Um, we're down to our last, you know, couple of minutes, Pele. Your show is on TNT five days a week, Pele Naroth. Taylor, and uh, what what's what are you working on now? What's the next thing you're going to publish or post? Well, um, <laughs> I'm I'm going to try and get the the Hammerfeld film onto onto Amazon Prime, and um, again, I mean because the um, we'll see if I get invited to, to to nice launch parties or come to New York or something. I'll look you up because. You know, the UN is going to come into prominence now because of the uh, South Africa uh, in International yeah. Court of Justice thing. It might turn hopes, the UN yeah. in, the new, new in an interesting place where, where diplomacy is transacted. It might get a higher profile in the next six months or something and if we don't all disappear yeah. in a cloud of radioactive smoke, you know? Well, so that's the other thing. Bit, the other yeah. thing. The next time you're on my show, and I'm going to invite you back, it's to talk about, you know, what, what, what cliff might we be on the edge of? What what oh, balloon God, yeah. might burst first? You know, right, not to yeah. mix too many metaphors. Haley yeah, Naroth yeah. Taylor, TNT right. radio host, 
an author and documentary filmmaker. Search him on Amazon. And uh, we might have enough time for, to get your final thoughts about anything, but briefly, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege. And you, right. you thank know, you very much. Yeah. You're new on TAT for book. the last... Well, thank you. Thank you kindly. Thank you very much. And this, Thanks. And this has, I'd like uh, to talk to you. Thank you. And this has been World Stage, and this is the awesome and incredible Today's News Talk, TNT. TNT.